KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzet Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program. Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Kitisa, Parashat Para, Yudzain Adar. Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm Jonathan Snowbell. Well, I hope uh, I sounded a little bit more lively than last week. I was told by the people who run KMTT that I sounded a little bit not feeling so well, sick. I was met the next day in the supermarket and asked, are you feeling okay? Well, for better or for worse, at certain times I am forced to record KMTT at 5 o'clock in the morning, and although this is one of those weeks, I am trying to sound as bouncy as possible. In any case, we are in this uh, position between Parshat Kitisa, Parshat Para, which are related to each other. Just in the aftermath of Purim, Parshat Zachor, somehow I would like to address uh, all of these things. I uh, discussed Purim last week and my mother wrote me an email, you didn't discuss Parshat Zachor. So I'm going to try to pull everything together. It's a comment that I believe within the framework of the Parsha Shurim I used to give on KMTT, I discussed regarding Parshat Para. But anybody who looks at Parshat Para, that would be the beginning of Parshat Chukat and Sefer Bamidbar, probably was given as a shear for Parshat Chukat as opposed to Parshat Para, but those archivists, archivists amongst us, uh, could look this up and try to figure it out. The very clear definition, the delineation, I should say, within Parashat Para, between Parashat Para is all of 22 psukim. The first 10 psukim discuss Parashat Para and the procedure of Parashat Para and the sacrificing of it outside the Beit HaMikdash, and the burning of it, and putting it into the water, all of it completely with, not within the context of Tumat Mate at all. There's no Tumat Mate mentioned. It's a process of slaughtering a red cow, burning it with cedar, and whatever else it is that we burn it with, I can't translate all the words right now. Eight eres ve'izovu shnitolat. You throw it into the fire, and then you put it into the water. And on this, the Torah says, This, this is a an eternal decree, law, for the Jewish people and all who come and join the Jewish people. Then, subsequently, from Pasuk Yudala, from the 11th Pasuk and onward, it goes into detail how this can be used for a person who has come in contact with a dead person who has who is tamemet, has become impure by death. And at the end, this is also a chukat olam. The process of getting, of purifying a person who is tamemet, that is also an eternal decree, an eternal law. So essentially, what we have here is that there's two sets of laws. There's one set of law, which is the procedure of slaughtering and burning 
the red cow and making the mei nida, the mei chatat. And there's a second set of laws, which is that you can use this mei chatat, you can use these water, these, this water that has the ashes of the red cow, to purify a tamemet, someone who has come in contact with a dead body. It is interesting to note that Chazal in Parshat Bishalach, when the Torah says Sham Sam Lo Chokum Mishpat V'Sham Nisahu, there they were they received Chokum Mishpat, a decree and laws, and there they were tested. Chazal say what 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 laws did they get? They got some interpersonal laws, Dinim. They got the laws of Shabbat. We see that Shabbat predates the giving of the Torah because Shabbat relates to the laws of man and not going out on Shabbat to collect man, which is pre-Matan Torah, before the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. And Parshat Para. They also received Parshat Para. Why Why did Chazal go to Parshat Para? Because of the word Chok. Chok is a decree. A decree which we usually translate or give the uh, or explain as a law, a law that doesn't have an explanation. It's hard to understand, hard to fathom. We call these chukim, decrees. Decrees are something that logic doesn't demand, and perhaps as extremely as they're very hard to understand. And Chazal certainly have this attitude towards parshat para. That even Shlomo HaMelech Amar Echkema V'yirachokami Meni. I thought I was smart, but this is far away from me. I cannot understand this. If B'nai Israel received Parshat Para in Parshat B'Shalach, just after they crossed the Red Sea, before Matan Torah, and more importantly, before the laws of the Mishkan, then there is no relevance to the laws of Tumah v'tahara. Certainly not Tumat Met. In general, the laws of Tumah v'tahara, purity and impurity, for lack of a better translation, 95% of those laws relate to our ability to go into the Beit HaMikdash. Which parts of the Beit HaMikdash are we allowed to go in or we're not allowed to go in? Only the laws of nida, of a woman getting her period, becoming a nida, relate to interpersonal life as well. Of course, a woman who's a nida is not allowed to go into the Beit HaMikdash either. But there is a relationship to her interpersonal life with her husband as well. But the rest of the laws, Zav, Zava, Shichvat Zera, Tumat Meit, the impurity of coming in contact with a dead body all relate to our ability to go into the Beit HaMikdash, into the Mishkan. And since the Mishkan doesn't exist just after Ben Israel crossed the sea, then there's no reason to tell them about laws that have to do with Tumatmet. And then, I would like to suggest, 
I think I've suggested this in the past, that they weren't given the entire set of laws that have to do with Parshat Para, as we read in Parshat Para. They were given the first ten psukim. Just this process of the, the commandment of slaughtering the cow, burning the cow, and creating menida, creating this this water with the with the ashes of the the red cow. And then we'd ask ourselves, well, why? Because there is a mitzvah to burn a red cow. Why is there a mitzvah? What's the purpose of it? This becomes even more difficult to understand than the entire parashat para. But there is such a mitzvah. What, why is this important to me? And how does this relate to Parshat Zachar and Parshat Kitisa as well? Because we have to teach ourselves that the halachic ramification, the practical ramification of a mitzvah is not always the be-all and end-all of the reason of our learning, and in the reason that the Torah decided to write down different halachot, different laws in the Torah. The Gemara discusses two sets of halachot, Ben Soreo Moreh, the waywardly son, and an Irni Dachat, a city that we are to destroy because it has largely turned over to worship of Udazara as an entire city. And on both of these, though there's a dissenting opinion, the general opinion in the Gemara is that lo haya These things never happened, never existed. So then why does the Torah waste its breath to talk, tell us halachot that aren't even practical, they're never going to happen? Drosha kabel sachar. You learn them and you get reward for it. On a shallow level, we can explain drosha kabel sachar means... Yeah, you learn and you get the, you learn. So you learn, what's the big deal if you learn? You learn something else. But more deeply, what the Torah is telling us is that there is something for us to learn, if not on a practical halachic level, but then on an ideological idea level, even from halachot that are not practical. The Torah didn't write things just for a practical what should we do on a halachic level? The Torah has ideas and ideologies that it's trying to get through. And even if the practical actions are lacking, there's much to be learnt from the formulations of the Torah. Just one brief example of that, before we get to our point, is Ayn Tachat Ayn. Everybody knows that when the Torah says ayin tachadayin, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that Chachamim come along and tell us that halacha Moshe misinai, the oral tradition, teaches us that this means monetary fines are paid to recompense the injury. That being the case, one has to ask ourselves, why is the Torah writing an eye for an eye, not just writing a, a monetary fine will be paid? And the answer is, is that the Torah wants to tell us an eye for an eye. That the severity of the issue here, when you take out someone eye, someone's eye, is that you deserve to have your eye taken out. Now, practically speaking, we may not do that, but we're not only interested in practically speaking, we're interested in a message. What are we talking about here? 
Parshat Zachor, on a practical halachic level, discusses the eradication of a nation called Amalek. Eradication in a way that we're very uncomfortable with. Killing, as Shmuel Hanavi told Shaul, that we read in Haftarah last week, destroying men, women, children, destroying all their property. And we all know that we don't know who these Amalekim are anymore today, and there's no one that we can go and say, if you see this guy on the street, you have to pull out a knife and kill him. Very good. We're very happy with this, we're very comfortable with this, because we're not too happy and we're not too comfortable with the thought of this idea on a practical level. And perhaps, and I'm not the first person to say this, God spared us of this mitzvah, the practical ramifications of this mitzvah, by making the identities of the nations that existed in biblical times completely unidentifiable. However, we read Parshat Zachor every year. And it discusses this mitzvah, Timchet Zecher Amalek, destroying Amalek, eradicating them in the way that we've just discussed. Before I go on in the point of Parshat Zachor, I want to throw in Parshat Kitisa. Parshat Kitisa, Chet Egel discusses Bnei Yisrael sinning Chet Egel, God wanting to destroy Bnei Yisrael, and then not destroying Bnei Yisrael. As opposed to that, we have Amalek, where God says, destroy Amalek. Doesn't take it back, doesn't decide not to. Now, halakhically speaking, there is a concept of a Ger Amaleki. There is a concept of Amalek, there's a way out for Amalek on an individual level of accepting the mitzvot. If I'm not mistaken, it might not even be necessary for them to become a ger. They could just accept Shavu Mitzvot and Enoch and not be eradicated. That's on an individual level. But what we're talking about in these two parshiot, Parshat Zachor versus Parshat Kitisa, we're talking about evils and how we deal with evils. One way of dealing with evil is a way of giving an opening to to this evil of Abu Dazara and saying and helping people be Choserbi Chuva, give them an opening to correct their mistakes. A little bit of punishment. People did die at Cheta Ego. But in general, the attitude towards Am Yisrael was an attitude of God leaving us an opening to come back. This opening doesn't really seem to exist when it comes to Amalek. We could also say it didn't, the opening didn't exist for the 3,000 people who were killed at Chet HaEgel. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is, even when there's no practical ramifications of the destruction of Amalek, on the halachic level, of who is Amalek and who do I have to kill? There's no one for me to kill. But there is here a clear attitude of the Torah 
towards evil. Yes, there are times where evil can be talked to, given an opening, but there is evil in the world that must be eradicated, destroyed, not dealt with with diplomatic gloves. And unfortunately we are witnesses in our times when the Prime Minister of England in the 1930s tried to take a diplomatic approach to all types of evil in the world and he allowed Hitler to get much farther before somebody put their foot down and said enough is enough. And when they decided to fight Hitler, a little bit too late, they didn't get to the borders of Germany and call out to him to negotiate peace. They went and fought into the streets of Berlin until everything was destroyed and it was over. Yes, it is true that we strongly believe within our Jewish faith that there are that there is openings for tshuva. There's an ability to correct evil and to come back. That's not always the situation. That's not always a reality. On an individual level, can I say that each and every human being has a potential? Perhaps, I'm not sure. Maybe given the right context, but not always is the right context available for somebody to do tshuva. And if the context is not available for them to do tshuva, how could they do tshuva? How can people who are inculcated with ideas of hate and destroying other people and believing that this is God's will, without taking them out of the pond that they swim in and putting them into another pond, how can they change their ideas? And in those instances, we have no course of action available to us except for to destroy the evil. It is very nice to believe that everybody, if we just reach out to them, we can pull them back in. And God, who, like God, who tries to give us openings and opportunities to be chazeri tshuva, and God is responsible for destroying those 3,000 people in this week's Parsha who were Oved They were 3,000 people who were hopeless cases, who could not be corrected, and they had to be destroyed. And God destroyed kingdom after, ki- after kingdom of Jewish kings within the kingdom of Israel, and them and their children, and eradicated them because they were evil that could not be kept on anymore. They could not be corrected. And God sticks out a hand to us. And despite our failings, has kept us around for thousands of years. And He hasn't allowed us to assimilate. He hasn't allowed us to be destroyed. Even at times where perhaps we deserve to be destroyed. As in with the holiday of Purim that we just passed. Parshat Zachor, lacking halachic practicalities teaches us that when facing evil, and we do face evil, even today, we can't always go on the diplomatic route 
of chazarabi tshuva, there are times where we have to know to evaluate an evil and know that the evil has to be destroyed. And again, I'm not talking practically meaning that the women and children and men and everybody has to be destroyed. I'm talking that we have to know that sometimes we're not going to come to a diplomatic solution with enemies and we have to fight our enemies and make our enemies surrender and decide that they're not going to threaten us anymore. And that's how we have to deal with it, with evil. We have to know when these situations arise, which is a situation in which diplomacy is usable, but we have to know that there are times where diplomacy does not work and evil is out there. And on that note, may we always be able to have the judgment to know to make the right decisions. May God give us the judgment to let us know how to deal with different situations in life when we're facing correctable evil and be able to correct it and when we're facing incorrectable evil and to know that it must be eradicated and destroyed. And on that cherry note, Shabbat Shalom.